Berto, have you ever had any experiences with jealousy? Have you ever been jealous of somebody or something? Ooh, did something? Did someone say something about this or, or something? Well, a patron wants us to talk about it, but I thought I might intro the podcast with some relevant stories from you know, Je- the co-host. Jealousy and envy. There's a difference. Yeah. And I heard it defined. Envy is like, I want what someone else has. That's right. I'm like, oh. That guy's got a cool Porsche. Yeah. I envy that Porsche, right? That's right. Versus jealousy is like, I'm afraid to lose something I love because someone else might take it or something like that. That's right. All right. Well, I never knew that. Like, not never. I heard that before, but for most of my life, the, the, the distinction was not clear. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, they use the words sort of interchangeably. Totally. Like, I'm so jealous of that car over there. Hey, I saw th- this movie last night. and like, I'm so jealous. Like, no one says, oh, my God, I, I'm so envious of that's you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it doesn't even sound right. Um, yeah, I had a period of my life when I was in my early 20s where I was very jealous. Yeah. And What did that feel like to you at the time? It felt like, well, it's funny enough that, you, that, that we were just talking about the definition because it actually felt like a threat of losing, I had this girlfriend. I was like threatened that I would lose her. Yeah, and but it was what was so ironic about it is I had had girlfriends before, many of which I should have been concerned about losing, but I never really was. This one I really had no no reason to be honestly concerned, but for some reason, and I have my theories, I felt super like concerned. Like, and so I would always be like checking on like, well, what did you do Friday night? Well, who are you with? And then I would like wouldn't believe her. And then um, she lived in a dorm uh, that had, uh, I think it was each floor had a mix, or if it was maybe a floor of women and a floor of men, and I don't quite remember. But either way, there were men close by, and so like I would always be like on high alert. And there was this oh my gosh, uber ridiculous thing where her neighbor from across the dorm, like across the door. Like in front of her door, you know, across. Uh, they had put up a little uh, ripoff from a Playgirl magazine or, or something like that with a, a dude, a naked dude. And they put a little paper flap over his his little member <laughs> so that people walking by could lift the flap and, you know, get an eyeful. Um, I was like, have you lifted the flap? Did you lift the flap? <laughs> Did you order the code flap? <laughs> it was rid- ridiculous. I even, I remember, I, I feel so bad about this. I prank called a guy that she was friends with that they really were just friends. Like it's, but I was so like, oh my God. So I prank called him and, and, and I think I said this on the podcast before. Like I pretended that I was running a psychology survey from the University of Washington and I asked him all these personal questions about his sex life. And then after he'd already divulged quite a bit of information, I started laughing. And I mean, it was just a psychopathic thing to do. I mean, it was horrible. Did you feel bad about it afterwards? Not then. Oh, not then. Not so then. like years later you felt mm, bad. It was not years. Uh, I might have felt bad about it like even later that year. But... At the but time, not the next day. I did not connect the dots. I don't know why. It's like I didn't even. It didn't even occur to me that was a, a complete, like antisocial, like crazy thing to do. Yeah. Did you feel out of control and emotional at the time? Out of control? No. At least I didn't think of myself that way. Um, emotional? Yes, definitely. 
Yeah. What kind of emotions? Like, I went, oh my God, it's so ridiculous. I went to a play, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, I think it was, mm-hmm. or something else, but it, it was something along the, the lines. Maybe it was a show. I saw play. the prequel. It was early summer, midnight. Early <laughs> Yeah. Before sunrise, summer night's dream. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I met my girlfriend there and, and then I'm like, Oh, hey, how did you get here? It's like, oh, I got a ride with with Joy, Bobby, and Paul, whoever, like three guys. And I'm like, what? You were in a car with three dudes? Like, I'm telling you, it was like, it was so childish, so ridiculous. Yeah. And I had never been like that before. Why do you think you were with this person? Um, I think it actually, my theories are two twofold. One of them is it actually reminded me there are some aspects of her that reminded me of my mom, not explicitly, but implicitly. And since my mom left me, mm. I feel like that triggered me. Yeah. And I had had, although it was two girlfriends before that, I had had one girlfriend break my heart. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was maybe still kind of reeling from that. I don't know. But I think the biggest thing is that I, I, I didn't realize it, but I think I felt triggered. Like, oh, it's my mom and she's going to leave me. Well, today I want to dive into more of that regarding jealousy. A patron wrote in and described a process not too dissimilar to your process, Umbeto. And I want to talk about the research regarding jealousy and my own psychological take on it and how I've treated people in in my practice. What do you say, Bruno? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. My name is Humberto Castaneda. I travel every six months to Russia where I coach in water sports. This is a email from a patron. That's the funniest one you said all year. (laughs) It's a long year so far. Uh, This is an email from a patron. Hi, Kirk. I struggle with jealousy. I have episodes that last 30 minutes and I've had an episode that lasted almost a year. While I am in the midst of an episode of jealousy, I feel like I am utterly out of my mind and out of control. This is a female patron, by the way. Okay. No other emotion makes me feel so awful. It's like this crazy amplified mix between all of the negative emotions balled up into one giant, twisting, nasty ball of slithering, biting snakes. Wow. I can become delusional and completely paranoid. I become obsessive, and I do things I normally would never do. For example, I checked the monthly phone bill, his monthly phone bill, to see if my partner was texting or calling a female friend of his. In my normal state, I would never consider doing anything like that. But in a jealous state, I cannot control my need to control things or find things out or control the situation. The worst part is the controlling behavior. Normally, I'm not a controlling person, but when I am jealous, I can't help it. Oh, man. I also start pushing away my significant others because I'm constantly getting in a bad mood and interrogating them. And I hate these things about myself. It's even hard to write about it because I hate admitting that I do these things. It's also not just sexual jealousy. I remember when I was younger, I couldn't stand it if my best friends had other friends. I've even dated a guy who had a child, and I started to get jealous of his relationship with his child. That's very shameful for, for me and hard for me to admit. And finally, I want you to talk about 
how people manage and treat jealousy. I would really love an in-depth episode on jealousy. Why does it happen? What's the science behind it? Why is it so extreme and drives people to do horrible things? Can it be hereditary? My father was apparently unbearably jealous, which was part of why my mom left him. Do you treat clients who have come in with severe jealousy? Maybe Umberto has had any experience with it, and he could share it. It would be interesting to hear that. I've tried talking with my therapist about this, but she said this mindset was... But she... Sorry. I've tried talking with my therapist about it, but she has this mindset that once we desensitize my childhood trauma, all my problems, including my jealousy, will just go away. But I don't think that's the case. Umbeto, what do you think? This one seems to extend into a lot of different areas. It's not... Like, I felt like mine was very directed. You know, it was like this person specifically and the relationships around her and my relationship with her. Um, <clears throat> I don't I don't recall feeling that way throughout my life about other people, including my male friends or other girlfriends or, or things like that. Um, but I can certainly relate. I mean, I can relate to the, the feelings. And she had a really expressive way to describe what she was, you know, what she feels and what she goes through. Uh, and it sounds torturous, you know, like she's aware that it's kind of not healthy maybe or whatever. And, and it just, the way she describes it sounds, it sounds really painful for her. Yeah. You know, let do alone you think, for those around Do you think your therapist is on the right track? <clears throat> well, having been, I can only speak from my experience and um, it, there is definitely aspects, many aspects that talking about my uh, childhood and my relationships with my parents and things helped me start to, um, you know, see some things in a new light. But that was by no means the the bulk of my therapy. In fact, I, I would say I spent maybe only 10% of my therapy recounting my childhood stuff. And a lot of it was more about um, kind of dealing with my present moment and how I, and, and for me, and this might be just be unique to my situation, a lot of my therapy has centered around trying to bring me into present, like being present and being aware of my body and being aware of, of my relationship with the people I am with and how I'm interacting rather you're, than... You're saying present, right? Present. 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 Yes. Present. Present. Because there's prescience. Oh, yeah. Not, pre- not prescient. Not being prescient. <laughs> not present in Christmas, but being present. Yeah. Um, See, like, that's one of those ZS's present, accent present, things that I was trying to point out present, to you. Present. Present. Don't present. forget it's an S. It's a Z. Present. Present. I, I, it, I need to be present. Present. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It is weird. Like, because... Uh, presente. So that's some of that. in Spanish, it'd be presente. Okay. Presente. So, Not presente. So for the listeners, like a couple of weeks ago, I told Umberto that some of his accent would come out only with his S's and Z's. Yeah. And I would sure. notice it. And that was one of those Present. examples. So I'm... So Present. I'm, so I'm, you know... Ah, I'm interesting. Just, yeah. Because... So, and I wouldn't have pointed it out if I didn't... If I actually wasn't confused with what you're saying. Because it sounded like you're saying prescient. Oh, yeah. Like we're present. Like press, present... Is I don't even know what that is, but present. Right. I was it must like, be mo- one of those because it is a more subtle sound difference that that one slipped through the cracks. <laughs> right, right, yeah, um, yeah. So, so your therapy is more around being in the present, and and in fact, it, it so much so that 
um, there were times, especially early on, but I'll still have this tendency every now and then, where I, I'm a storyteller. So I'm like, well, let me tell you my story. And then I would start, and, and I would actually kind of get excited about being able to tell all the details about something I remember. And it's not like my therapist wouldn't want to listen or hear that. It's just we started realizing that um, if if I just did that, I was like, I actually took myself out of myself. It was like a third person recounting of my life. And it wasn't really feeling and it wasn't really kind of dealing with like, well, how does that make you feel? And so a lot of my work, again, has been around um, rather than like, well, let's re- let's recap everything up until now. It's been more about what's going on. What's going on with you right now? How are you feeling? What are you struggling with these days? And, and then in that, we do end up uncovering because I'll naturally say things like, you know, as I'm thinking about it, when my dad did this one thing, this is kind of like this, and I kind of remember that. And so we'll naturally discover pieces like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, therapy can involve lots of different modes and things, and you're talking about one, and it has helped you, which is great. So my take on what you're doing, patron, with your therapist is I actually agree with your therapist. It, you're, you're saying you're skeptical of whether or not that will actually help your overall jealousy. But I'm, but I'm saying that I actually think it will help in the end, uh, just by the little I understand. As you heal from your childhood traumas, you will likely feel more securely attached mm. just in general, and you will exhibit more secure attachment in your present relationships, and you will be much less likely to be triggered to be jealous. Although, from your description, I can't tell if your therapist is focusing enough on the relational corrective experiences. I don't clearly you're working on desensitizing childhood trauma, which is a a particular brand of trauma work, which is wonderful and, and almost always works. And I've used that a lot, but I don't know if that would necessarily address, for instance, with Umberto, with his childhood difficulties, he was traumatized in some ways, but the issue that seems salient to his jealousy didn't have to do with a trauma, meaning like being afraid, being terrorized, or being messed with, so to speak. It was a general neglect that and rejection that your mom put you through, which we could say is a broad definition of trauma, but it's more of the uh, effort of and the, the therapy, well, correct, so what do you think? Am I on track? No, I think you're right. Yeah. And, and in fact, as you were describing to her why you do agree with her therapist, it occurred to me that uh, maybe I was just thinking about the, the, the way to get at that. And the, then you can decouple those two things because de-traumatizing yourself from your childhood trauma, you can, as you were saying, you could do that in many different ways. And I was saying that in my case, rather than only focusing on the stories of my childhood, we've been focusing a lot on my present and my relationships and then bringing in how that relates to my past as necessary. Yeah. But in fact, one of the, the ways that over the last decade or actually or more, I started realizing that, oh yeah, there's so many things I hang on to about um, jealousy, for example, that are really residuals of this uh, instability, you know, feeling unstable, feeling like at any time my loved connection might disappear the someone i love someone who who is my life might go away and then that that's traumatic and so did that awareness alone help or did you have to do something else um so for for the 
For the jealousy stuff, it's kind of hard to say because it was, as you know, this wasn't like a one day thing where I was like, oh, it was that. Okay, I'm done. It was really that over the first few years of therapy, I started looking at some of my behaviors. And, and I will say that by the time I started therapy, jealousy was no longer my main, like in the, say in the top five of my main issues, but it had been earlier in my 20s because I started like at 28. So if I had been in therapy at 22, 21, 23, do you think that very relevant? Do you think that your stable relationships in your 20s helped to teach you that you could depend on people and therefore not? I think that actually probably had a big impact because as an example, um, with, with my, even just, okay, I was going to say that with that relation in particular, over time, I actually learned that I was kind of banging my head against the wall with no reason. You know, I'm like, this wall is hitting me. And then I, I, I just implicitly over time saw that the wall actually wasn't doing anything. Yeah. So I think I stopped hitting my head against the same wall. But then the other thing that I think helped me is as I as I started developing an adult relationship with my mom, you know, one thing that happened is my mom didn't go away again. Was that in your 20s? It, it starting when I was 15 and on. Okay. And so 10 years later, she's still there. Yeah. And she's now helped me with college and things. So I, I think I started implicitly maybe healing a bit from that too. Yeah. Great. So, in summary, what I'll say about your therapy patron is it's probably a good idea what you're doing, but it's it's probably also a good idea to explore some of the things that Umberto is talk Umberto is talking about uh, in terms of general exploration, general healing wounds relationally through actual stable relationships that you can trust, whether that's your therapist or other people. So, and and I I realize that that probably doesn't make you feel better because it it could be years before you actually see any results of that, of either the PTSD uh, recovery or otherwise. And so, um, but, you know, uh, every little bit helps. Uh, I want to get into uh, more regarding the research and uh, maybe some of the specifics in terms of how she experienced her jealousy. Your description is really quite rich, so I want to go over that. But let's take a break first. What do you say, Berto? Let's break. Okay, we're back. Before moving forward, I just want to remind everyone to become a patron. Become a patron of the podcast. You'll get access to the feed that doesn't have any advertisements. And also, we have a ton of these patron-exclusive episodes that only patrons have access to. Also, if you can, tell a friend or colleague about it, because you know when you spread the word that increases our popularity, which makes us, uh, frankly, make more revenue, which makes us better able to increase our time commitment to this podcast, which makes the podcast presumably more quality. Also, rate us on iTunes, if you could. Uh, if, you, if you do that, email us and I'll send you some swag. Also, $20 patrons get mugs if you live in North America. Uh, we have these awesome mugs. Uh, coffee mugs and so if you're a $20 a monther then you'll get a mug also let's do a sticker raffle but let's do that after the next break okay um, also join the Facebook fan group run by famous patron Lyndon you go to Facebook and it's a there's two there's a Facebook page for the podcast and there's also a fan group that is just for the fans that that I don't run uh, a fan runs 
So. You know what? Uh, in Spanish, patron is patron, yeah. and it means boss. Yeah? Yeah, so it's like there are boss. <laughs> <laughs> they tell us what to talk about. <laughs> is it kind of like father? Is it, is it like... No, oh. but obviously pater is a father root in Latin. Yeah. So... It's a four. It's like... It, yeah. Okay. So let let's let me review how you described your experience of jealousy, patron. Uh, you described it as having bouts of jealousy, which is interesting, lasting from thirty minutes to almost a year. So it's episodic. You feel normal and okay most of the time, except when your jealousy is triggered. So that's interesting. You also said that no other emotion feels as bad as jealousy does. You say it's a crazy mix of negative emotions. You also said that sometimes you become delusional and paranoid. You didn't go into detail, but I'm guessing what this means, if I'm basing it on other people that describe it this way, is that you probably become completely convinced that your partner is cheating on you, even though there's almost no evidence of that. You know, like right. you, uh, like with, with Beto's, a story. He right. has three boys dropping her, you know, his girlfriend off at this play. And in your mind, you're just like, she had sex with one of them or all, of, all them. of them. It was an orgy. I can't believe it. Right. And even though there's no evidence of that, it just becomes the, this dominant narrative in your head that seems extremely likely when you're having a bout of jealousy. And then once the bout of jealousy is over, you look back and you think, geez, I was, I was thinking real delusional and paranoid. I mean, she did walk out naked out of the car, and nine months later, she gave birth to triplets, and they all look different. Right. But other than that... Three condoms fell out of the... <laughs> well, that doesn't make any sense, given your joke. But anyway, um, she, uh, I'm guessing, also experiences, given the paranoia delusion, she's completely convinced that someone is about to leave her. You know, like, like with, the, with your example of uh, your, you walk by that one uh, playgirl thing and there's that the penis. Pe the flap. <laughs> and it's this weird uh, route from that to my girlfriend is going to look at that penis, like it better, and, the, and then look at my penis and not like mine and then therefore leave me <laughs> for this guy or another penis <laughs> or something. For the magazine. Right, model. because, I mean, you, well, let's kind of break that down. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting thoughts in your head. Yeah. I'm putting penises in your head. <laughs> but, like, let's really, let's really look at this. So, so when you, like, what is, so, you know, don't think about it in your today mind, but you're, think about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm trying your, to rewind. Obviously, it's a very, very long time ago. But um, I still I, I remember the hallway. I remember the the poster, not exactly, but I remember with it had the little flap and stuff. I, I it's funny because I it, I switch between two modes. I walk in and the what I'll call normal Berto mode sees the thing and thinks it's hilarious. You know, I see the poster and they see the flap. I'm like, that's really funny. And then the other part of me engages and starts. And it creeps up because at first I'm like, it's kind of like, huh, hey, I wonder if my girlfriend saw this. But at first it's not even jealous yet. It's more like curiosity. And then that starts this thread of like, wait, does that mean she's looking at male porn? 
And what does that mean? Right. And uh, of course, I'm not saying these things explicitly in my head, right. but they all quickly add up to like, oh, wait a minute, I-, I must not be good enough. And and she must be looking at this because she wants to leave me and she wants to be with other men. Do you, think, like, do you think that's what it was? Does that feel... I mean, I, I, I must... That must be the math that was done in my head because then from there I jumped to confronting her and being like, did you lift the flap? Right. It's just such an interesting uh, sequence, right? So, And lifting the flap obviously meant that she had an interest sexually. Right. Because, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't think of it like, oh, she might find it funny just like I do. No. If she lifted that flap, she's sexually interested, not just in this model here on this, but clearly on everyone else but me. Right. And this and, is the and end that of our relationship. Gonna, right. And then that means she's going to leave me. Yeah. I mean, right. So, Which I, and again, I'll, I'll clarify that none of those words were literally in my head. Right. The only thing that was literally in my head is I need to ask her if she lifted the flap. Right. And that's the <laughs> compulsion. And that's yeah. the compulsion I run into with my clients. There's this, there's a weird sequence of events that happens internally regarding jealousy. And it has to do all with what you articulated. Am I good enough? Is someone going to leave me? But then what comes out of the person's mouth is 99% of the time, it's questions about details, which makes no logical sense to me. Can you make logical sense as to what part of the mind transforms worry of losing someone and worry about not being good enough to interrogating someone about details? <laughs> yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Because like the, the classic that I see in my office with infidelity is questions, very specific questions about exactly what happened during the infidelity. You know, mm-hmm. as people recover from infidelity, there will inevitably, not everyone, but frequently, men and women will say, I want to hear every detail. I Did you have an orgasm? How many times? What position? How long did you kiss them? How long? You know, where right. were you? Are, you know, are there things bigger or smaller than mine? Did you like it better? You know, it's very right. specific. And to me, it. I'm always watching this. And just as a side note, I will always slow people down. And what I say is, what I say to the asker, to the hurt person, I say, you really want to think about whether or not you want the answers to these questions, because once you hear the answer, you'll never forget it. It'll burn into your brain. <laughs> right. If if she says, yeah, his penis was bigger than yours, and I actually had more orgasms in one session than I've, I've ever... never felt like, so good. Is that what is... Like, do you really want that rattling around in your head? Is that, is, is that, is that a box... Pandora's box that you want to open. And the other thing I'll say to the hurt person is there's almost nothing good that comes from learning that information. You know, if you want to know, for instance, how many times or for how, for, for what span of time, you know, I think that's understandable. It's like, well, what are we dealing with here? But when you start diving into very specific details that are going to probably traumatize you and burn into your brain, then, then I say the cheat to the cheater, I say, look, because you're recovering from infidelity, you have to come clean on everything. You can't hide anything. So if, if your partner asks you a question, you're advised to actually answer it as honestly as possible because to be shady or to withhold right. is just to compound the problem. But then I turn back to the hurt person and I say, but be very careful <laughs> about what you are asking, my friend. Well, I think that the uh, the hurt person um, 
and this extends, I think, beyond infidelities. I think, I think that in general, when someone confronts someone else with a whole bunch of specific questions, I think secretly, or not even secretly, but in their mind, what they want to hear is the perfect sequence of answers that will put their worst fears to rest. So things like, you know, did you have sex? Uh, no. Were you tempted? No. Do you think he's better looking than me? No. In fact, I think he's ugly and I think you're the best good looking person in the world. Do you, you know, and like that's ideally, I think your brain automatically wants to hear this like sequence that will finally be like, okay. Right. I, I, there's never any problem here. <laughs> right. Which leads me to another thing about being reassured and having a system of reassurance in relationships that I'll get to later. But anyway, so getting back to your description. So again, you you had bouts, you had, you had, you know, crazy emotion, you're delusional and paranoid, which I commend you for being able to admit that, that you get delusional and paranoid. A lot of people in your position would be undifferentiated and, and defensive and would say th- other kinds of phrases that would indicate immaturity. And you're, I just want to commend patron you for exhibiting like complete control over your situation here. Uh, it really does seem like when you're not jealous, you're a mature, differentiated, for the most part, person. And and uh, so I commend you for that. You also describe it as you paradoxically push your loved ones away, which is uh, frequently the case when it comes to jealousy. Uh, uh, frequently the case when it comes to jealousy when you don't deal with it well. Everyone gets jealous, but uh, it's it's all a matter of how you deal with it. And I'll get more into that in a second. You also said that you become controlling. You checked your partner's phone records, uh, you don't go into too much detail, but you probably exhibited other classic controlling behaviors. You didn't say this, but uh, maybe things like telling your partner that they can't do things, yelling at your partner in an attempt to get them to alter their behavior so that they stop doing things to make you jealous, accusing your partner, trying to get them to obey your weird set of rules, etc. That's all uh, a typical to controlling behavior. In the extreme, it's like you can't leave the house, you can't have friends, you can't you can't have a job, you can't talk to people of uh, you know that I'm jealous of, blah blah blah. Uh, you can't even talk to your family. You can't you know it 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 you know we all know those kinds of extreme yep. uh, situations. You also talk about being extremely shameful, which I just want to put an asterisk on that and say. Uh, don't be shameful. <laughs> it's it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something that is out of your control. If it was under your control, and you're like, today I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, a total dick to my partner, and I'm gonna drum up situations to be jealous of, and I'm I'm gonna control him because I that's just me. I'm I'm a dick. I like to control him. That's not what's happening. You're being triggered, and you're completely out of control of these feelings and impulses. And you're trying your best to put an end to it. You're writing in to a podcast to talk about it. This, these are not shameful behaviors. Shameful is doing it and being completely cool with it. Uh, not to blast you, Berto, but if we went back in time to that, you know, the right. day after you called this guy who just happens to be friends with your girlfriend and... I was to ask you, you were like, oh, yeah, so I totally blame you. Right, know, right. And I was like, how do you feel about that? You're, yeah, I'm cool with it. Like, that's shameful. Yeah, like, I think it was hilarious. Right. Right, that's shameful. You, <laughs> you I mean, think about, and we've t- I, we have talked about this before. Did you talk to him again later? I think so. Um, 
I mean, we we were acquaintances. I knew him. I'd seen him a couple times. We weren't like friends. But did you ever uh, talk about that event? No. Yeah. And I wish I could have. I mean, I wish I could have because like apologized. Right. Which you know, not Ugh. not to uh, blast you, but you know, maybe put that on the agenda because yeah, if I could find him, I don't imagine know. that happening to you. You'd probably never forget that. Yeah, that's true. And depending on how flexible he is, he could have just been like, you know, what a what a jealous dick that guy is and moved on with his life. Or he could have been like shaking with adrenaline and fear about like, oh, wait, man. so this guy like knows my like if he's capable of that, what was he watching me? Yeah, is he stalking yeah. me? Uh yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm gonna talk to this girl at work. Is her boyfriend gonna start? You know, right? It, it who, who knows? We don't know, but I would imagine the possibility anyway. And so, so you, patron, anyway, you're better than Berto. <laughs> yes, <laughs> in that you have absolute shame about what you're doing. You shouldn't be ashamed. You should be contemplative and you should be dedicated to change for the betterment of you and everyone around you. Uh, but uh, shame is not going to help. Shame implies purposefulness, lack of reflection. Yeah. Da, da, da. I wish I could find him. I don't know his last name, but maybe I could. Yeah. Well, there's this new thing called the Internet. There is. Yeah. Just, just, just Google like... Um, <clears throat> Guy who almost <laughs> fucked up my, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, you also said that you were jealous of your partner's cheating, but you're also jealous of your friends having other friends, and you are also jealous of your partner's relationships with their children. Okay, so now let's get to your questions. You wanted to know why does it happen? Is it hereditary? How do I treat jealousy, and how can people manage their jealousy? Well, first off, we have to define jealousy, and Berto already did that in terms of delineating it between envy and and jealousy. So, But I will define jealousy in the way that you are, patron, which is that terrible feeling and desperation you feel when a loved one seems to be pulling away from you or cheating on you or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. That's my definition. It's, 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 it's a terrible feeling. Some people say jealousy isn't an emotion. And to that, I say, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, have you ever been jealous? Because yeah. it's a feeling. I mean, you could break it down in, into its components. Sure. But I think it's worthy of its own category. You know what I mean? That, that only works if, like, if you could prove to me the, the neuronal, neuronal patterns that make distinct emotions and you could show me that jealousy is a, the addition of these three very specific ones but even then that's <laughs> like saying that purple doesn't exist you yeah know? it's like yeah. it's like you know it's yeah. a mixture of other colors but it's that's still right. purple so the first thing i'll say as i was saying early, earlier is that jealousy is normal everyone has this feeling to some degree every human being i'm guessing everyone has even had extreme jealousy at some point in their life regardless of how well they are raised and regardless of how healthy they are so to speak it's natural to get hurt when your partner shows interest in somebody else, particularly when you're younger and particularly when you've been hurt or you know recently hurt or something. And people who have not been provided a secure attachment as children, they are much more likely to feel jealous and they're much more likely to see reasons to get jealous. So uh, it, it's normal and it's particularly normal for people who were raised badly essentially. And you don't have to be you don't have to be abused. Abuse can affect 
you know, future jealousy. But you could just be raised slightly cold. You could be raised in a way that just gives you the sense that you're not good enough, you know, right. just a little bit of criticism, a little bit of rejection, a little bit of distance. And these things are not things that people typically like emerge from childhood saying that they were abused or mistreated. Uh, so, so there's that. All right. Uh, let's get to the literature, meaning the research. But before that, let's take a break. What do you say, Bruno? Break. All right, we're back. So let's talk about the research. Now, uh, I want to provide one quote from one of my favorite figures in the history of psychotherapy, Harry Stack Sullivan, an American psychiatrist. 1953, he wrote that jealousy is a great complex field of interpersonal relations. Harry Stack Sullivan was, to some extent, you could say, the grandfather of relational therapies, including family therapy and relational psychoanalysis and, and whatnot. And he was, uh, he's a great uh, quotable figure. That makes me so jealous. Yeah. So, and he has got a great name, Harry Stack Sullivan. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is a study, 2015, Rodriguez. Jealousy is an emotion that serves to motivate behaviors to protect an individual's relationship from alternative mates. So again, this is how they're defining it based on other literature. Jealousy is an emotion that serves to motivate behaviors to protect an individual's relationship from alternative mates. Hmm. Pretty good definition, right? Yeah. Jealousy is interpreted as a sign of caring and concern for one's partner and research has been shown that it can be positively associated with romantic love. Oh. So Rodriguez, 2015, is trying to normalize jealousy and also see it as not just a bad thing. It's actually, in one way, if you look at it one way, it's an indication that you're actually in love with someone or you're that you're, you've created a good relationship. There's something right. to lose, you know? Like, sh if you fall in love with someone and there's an indication that they might be moving away from you and, you've, and, and towards someone else and you don't feel jealous, then there's something wrong with you or the relationship or, right. or something. So, so, like many things in life, it's one of those, like, good things in moderation. <laughs> yeah, right. Jealousy can be conceptualized as an emotional response that has positive elements which can motivate behaviors to preserve a relationship. So jealousy isn't all bad. And research demonstrates that jealousy is the most prevalent cause of, of domestic violence. <gasps> oh. So, it, so it's, it's, it has that bad element to it. So it's important to note, to note is that, and we can see how... Right. Your description and the patron's description taken to a more severe level could absolutely be uh, intimate partner violent related. Okay. Yeah, so like, like you were saying, like where it develops into control, like you can't leave the house, you can't do this. Right. And then if the person on top of that is like violent or something. Right. And, and it's my hypothesis. And I, I'm, I'm always surprised that intimate partner violence people don't agree with me as wholeheartedly as I think they would is that is that intimate partner violence as it's called now they don't call it domestic violence anymore is primarily caused by jealousy is primarily caused by attachment mm. injury or attachment worries of attachment loss 
because you know we typically look at intimate partner violence uh, perpetrators as these evil, controlling, uh, misogynistic assholes. We don't tend to look at them as people who are hurting on the inside, as people who are desperate for an attachment and are and have been attachment injured as children to the point where they just don't trust people to stay with them. Right. And so they resort to power and control to retain an attachment that they believe they can't attain otherwise. Okay, study by White, 1981. Berto, tell me, is jealousy related? Now, you, your options are negative, not related, or positive related to? You know, you know yep. statistics in that way? Okay. Is jealousy related to exclusivity? In other words, like h- how, h- how exclusive a relationship is? Negative. It's you believe it's negatively associated. Well, what I let me clarify. What I mean is that I I I believe that jealousy would manifest itself in uh, polygamous relationships as well. Uh, well, uh, okay. So, in other words, if if the relationship is non forget about poly, forget about just think about non polyamorous relationships. Just think about like. Uh, monogamous relationships or just typical dating behavior, yeah. you know, dominant culture dating behavior. Okay, well then I guess yes, positive because if you start dating someone, you're going to maybe have more attachment and then maybe more jealousy gets triggered. That's right. So the more exclusive a relationship becomes, the more people tend to feel jealousy. The, the reason I was vacillating is because when we had, when we've talked to polyamorous folks before, yeah. They have we have talked about the idea that even in polyamorous relationships, jealousy uh, plays a, a role. Right. Yeah. We'll get to them in a second, but those are anomalous uh, cultural people <laughs> and see jealousy in a whole different way yeah. and relationships in a whole different way. And so, so what we're talking about is the dominant culture, particularly in study nineteen eighty one. Okay, is jealousy related to self esteem? What do you think? And also, there some have gender differences. So, uh, yeah, more jealousy, less self-esteem. So, negative relation, right? Particularly in men, the more self-esteem you have, the less jealous you tend to be. Particularly for men. Okay. Did you have less self-esteem when you were in your early twenties? Well, less uh, less self-esteem about me not being abandoned by a mother. Okay. <laughs> What about is jealousy related to romanticism, meaning the tendency to be romantic, you know, to have romantic ideals about relationships? You know, yeah. you would say, man, yeah. that, that guy's he's a romantic. So interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Is jealousy related to romanticism? Okay, so naively, I would initially think, uh, well, no, because we usually like, oh, that's so romantic. He's so look, he's holding the door. He's got the the, the roses and stuff. But now I'm thinking, like, I don't think that. Like- I don't think that's what it's measuring. I think it's more like a desire for romantic love. You know, like yeah. that guy. He's yeah. He just he loves to have romantic love, and that person could kind of take it or leave it. Yeah, that, I don't. Okay, think it's, then I don't think it's. I, I'll say positive door. relationship. It's actually not related. Jealousy oh, not is, related. has. Okay. Apparently, nothing to do with romanticism. Okay. Is jealousy related to feelings of inadequacy as a partner? Which is probably more of what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yes, it is. Positive related. Is jealousy related to sex role traditionalism? 
So, you know, as a man, you're like, I'm a masculine man and I don't wear pink and I, (laughs) I talk like this and I drive a truck and (laughs) I'm a girl and I'm very feminine and I only draw dresses. You know, is jealousy related to sex role traditionalism? Yes. Yes, it is. But only in men. So for women, they can be jealous whether they're. Uh, traditionalists okay. or not, but for men, the more traditional they are mm-hmm. as men, the more likely they are to be jealous. And that's an interesting thing for me too, because I, I grew up in a very traditional society in yeah. Colombia, right. and where actually a lot of men that I, well, a lot of the kids I grew up with, um, as we started having girlfriends and stuff, it seemed like jealousy was just part of the equation. Like everyone questioned, like. You don't dance with someone else's girlfriend. Yeah. You don't like... Well, I wonder you know, if that's just part of the age or something. It, that might have been. But remember, I left at, at 15, so maybe yeah. I didn't finish yeah. learning, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then that, that started evolving, you know, as, as, I, as I grew up as well. So, yeah. What about, is jealousy related to dependence on the relationship? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I really need this. Um, yes. Yes, it is, but only for women. Only for women? Okay. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, so uh, Becker et al., t- 2004, participants in this study were presented with hypothetical scenarios involving both a sexual infidelity and an emotional infidelity. Oh, okay. So being cheated on sexually or someone falling in love with someone else. Mm-hmm. Then they were asked how jealous, angry, hurt, and disgusted they would be using continuous scales. So not saying yes or no, but having a rating scale. Was there a sex difference between men and women as the binary goes for this study? Yes, there was. (laughs) Was there a sex difference for anger regarding uh, sexual jealousy versus uh, emotional jealousy? Yes. No. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> uh, actually, sorry, I, I worded that question wrong. Was there a sex difference for either jealous, you know, process in terms of oh. how angry men would get or how angry women would get? No, they get as just as angry. Right. And actually, I believe the original way I asked the question is the relevant way of asking the question. <laughs> what about, was there a sex difference regarding being hurt about being cheated on or having... No. Uh, no, there wasn't a sex difference. Is there a sex difference for disgust between men and women regarding sexual oh. or in- emotional infidelity? Uh, yes. No. Okay. <laughs> so the, the the lesson here is that men and women tend to get jealous in extremely similar ways. I thought, but it sounds like no, I thought that there was a study or there were some findings that uh, men tended to get more jealous about emotional infidelity right. versus women got more jealous about sexual infidelity. Right. So the that's the common notion, and it's the one of the major pillars of evolutionary psychology when it comes to sex differences and what shaped our psychologies regarding gender. But the, that claim, although supported by science, sort of, is easily dismantled once you actually ask the question in a different way. For instance, in the studies that Buss and all those other guys uh, Mm -hmm. point to that prove that there's this huge difference between men and women, because the whole premise goes that men have a billion, billion sperm and therefore don't care if the female has an emotional attachment with another guy because it doesn't 
as long as she doesn't have sex with him, then oh, it's okay. I was okay. saying it backwards, but okay, yeah. Well, that's what the evolutionary no, no, psychologist... No, I, I got it backwards. I, I meant to say that, that I thought that guys would get more upset about the sexual infidelity and that women would get more upset about oh. the emotional infidelity. I thought that's uh, what you said. That, but, that, yeah. that is unfortunately the opposite of what I said, but I meant to say that. I got mm-hmm. it. Okay. So, right. So, what the evolutionary psychologist will say is that uh, women don't care if their male mates have sex with someone else because they have billions of sperm. And as long as they have some sperm for her left over, which inevitably he will, then it's fine. But what she really worries about is him having an emotional affair with someone else because that means that he's not going to be around to take care of the kid once the kid is born. Yeah. And then the opposite is true for men, that they worry that their woman is going to have sex only because if she has sex with someone else, then he might end up having to raise a, a kid that's not his his genetic offspring. And the studies that they point to have to do with asking a question in a particular way, like, Umberto, would you get more upset about being cheated on or an emotional, you know? I see. And so answer the question. What, what would you say? Uh, the old Umberto would say cheated. Well, say now. No, I'm emotional. Okay. So you, so you pick one. And the other one is now gone. Yeah. So it's a binary. I see. So if I just ask you that question, then then you then you 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 if if you're if you're a hundred percent on one and zero percent on the other, or fifty one percent and forty nine percent, you you don't know the answer to that question. Right. You, you just you're forced to choose one. Whereas if I ask you, Umberto, on a scale from one to ten, how jealous would you be if your partner cheated on you sexually? What would be your number? Uh, and by cheating, I mean the behind my back kind of betrayal. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, like freaking, I don't know, seven. <laughs> and how upset Eight. would you be on a scale from one to ten if your partner fell in love with someone else? Uh, I'd be just brokenhearted. So upset, not as upset, but well, emotionally five. bothered. Yeah, fine, seven. Okay. So now that you know. The numbers are not as important, but that you see that yeah. when you ask a question in the second way, yeah. you get a much more nuanced point of view. Sure. And when they ask men and women these questions in the second way, they find that men and women are almost identical. But when you ask the first way, you uh, okay. get women tending to say they would worry about their partner. If they had to choose one, they'd say, yeah. so, so – that, you that lose sense. the nuance. That makes sense because like, once you average it out when it's just yes or no – then you might say like, oh, 30% versus 70%. Right. But when you average it out when it was a scale from 1 to 10, they might be 62, 49, 51, 50, whatever. And that's is. what yeah. they find. They yeah. find that men and women, when they, when they rate those things, are yeah. just like 0.1 off from each other. Right. Or, you know, very, very close. And so uh, this study also looks at that in terms this Becker et al. study uh, points to that you know to the fact that men and women are uh, fairly similar, and I would contend as our society changes the way it looks at gender over the coming decades, that gap will get even smaller. Well, there's also some uh, practical evidence in this sense. Uh, if we look at societies nowadays that still support um, one one husband having multiple wives, um, you could. You could think about it that way, and, and without, if you didn't do a deep research, you would say, well, seems like those women are fine with him having multiple wives. Right. But then if you step back and you look at other factors, you realize that they actually don't have a choice. So it's not like they, they're 
choosing to be okay with that fact. They don't have a choice to not be okay with that fact. Right. And as you look at societies where there is freedom that you don't, the woman can the, – the guy can really only have the one wife. But even if you don't look at marriage, just in terms of uh, here in the West, like pretty much the guy doesn't just get to have like 40 wives and the wife needs to just be fine with it. Well, now all of a sudden you see a behavior where women absolutely demand their – you know, they're, they are jealous and they demand their guy for themselves. Yeah. And so you, I think that it's really risky to conclude, and you've pointed this out before, conclude too much without taking into account the influence that the particular society plays in it in the whole. Right. Which leads us to our next piece of literature by Visser et al. 2007. This is an article about looking at jealousy which with, within culture and... Jealousy is is often talked about, particularly in evolutionary psychology circles, to be hardwired. We evolved to be jealous. But then when you look at polyamorous and swinging couples, they have a completely different approach to jealousy. Although they often will feel a form of jealousy, they will not bar their partner from having sex with other people, as long as, as particularly in polyamorous circles, as long as they've establish rules beforehand and swingers to, to, to the most part as well. So it's jealousy and what it compels is completely cultural because we have cultural pockets here in Seattle that completely flip jealousy and monogamy and what it means to have sex with someone else on its head. I kind of think about it like, you know, we are clearly hardwired to get hungry, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, But um, if you think about it, Right now, depending, like if you look at some of the pockets in the U.S., getting hungry, what that translates into is, I need some fried chicken and some fries, right? And I need some kale and some... Right. Yeah. Like in some other parts of the world, like I'm hungry. I need to go eat like some corn because that's the only option or whatever. So, and then they'll never think of like, I need some ice cream. Like that's not even a consideration. And you cannot deny, there's no hard wiring for being hungry for ice cream right. at all. But but being hungry as a thing is. Right. So similarly, the emotions that get brought up when you describe jealousy, those seem to be neuronal responses to things, right? Yeah. But so what I think what you're getting at is society in one case might make me think, you know, grow up in a certain way. It's like, okay, I'm going to get jealous about these things. Right. Yeah. Because it's a threat to the relationship and or to my yeah. manhood or something. And the, the analogy to take it further that you started would be that in all likelihood we, and, and I, I see no problem in this and, and it's hard to really demonstrate this with science, but I think you could make a pretty strong case and it seems very intuitive that we evolved a mechanism to bond with other people and we evolved a mechanism to have sex with other people. You know, we have a sex drive yep. and we have a bonding drive. We, we have a desire for secure relationships with Friends, family, partners, children, you know, whatever. And, uh, but how that is configured in terms of whether it's monogamous or otherwise is cultural. Yeah. So, and it makes sense because, like, if we, if we look at just biologically, a single human person, woman or male, uh, even adult, is not well suited at all to surviving in the wild. Like, if you know, if you drop the average person in, in the, in a forest. Yeah. They're likely to die from any number of things. You well, know I mean? to be fair, if you dropped, you know, 20 Seattleites in the middle of the forest, they are all be dead. Yeah, no, yeah, fair, they, they, fair. They'd, they'd last a little longer because yeah. they could eat But even each when other. they put like Survivor Man, you know, like an expert in survival, it's still tough, you know. Like, yeah. but, but as a society, 
even a group of Seattleites, it's more likely that you can like work something out, work together, and, and all these kind of things. Yeah. And so I think that we traded a long, long time ago fangs and thick fur and thick skin and all these things for being able to make tools, being able to communicate, being able to have a society. Well, and I think anthropologists would even go further back before our species you yeah. know, broke off from the branch of chimps you know, or whoever we evolved along the same lines. as. Who uh, if we evolved, evolved from them. chimps, how come there's still chimps around? <laughs> well, actually, we evolved from a similar ancestor as the chimps, but... Our branch is social. We're a social bonobos, chimps. We, you know, we're a social yeah. branch. Anyway, so Preckel et al. This is the last bit of literature I want to talk about. Twenty fifteen It has a few interesting tidbits here. A delusional jealousy is also called Othello's syndrome. Oh, yeah. From the I've heard that from the play. <laughs> oh, you have? Yep. Oh, really? I've never heard Othello's syndrome. That's interesting. Sometimes occurs from neurological disorders, but obviously can occur without neurological disorders. Um, and just a little bit about the brain for you brain freaks out there. Uh, Preckle et al. 2015 observed significant activations during the imagery of sexual infidelity. So they put people in fMRI uh, scanning machines, and then they, I, I guess, put pictures in front of them of their partner's Cheating on other people is, I guess, or maybe other people cheating. Other people's partner. I, don't I mean, the way that fMRI studies work is you either have to talk to them or just put images in front of them as yeah. they're being scanned. And so, however, they put imagery of sexual inf- sexual infidelity in front of them. As as these people in these fMRI machines were watching this infidelity occur before their eyes, the cingulate cortex and the frontal regions of the brain were lighting up, quote-unquote, but not the amygdala or the hippocampus. The sing- you know what the cingulate cortex has to do with? No. It has to do with emotion. It's part of the limbic system, so it's your, uh, you know, it's your, it's your emotional system, which okay. makes sense, you know, that you would get emotional upon right, right, right. seeing sexual infidelity. The, interestingly, the amygdala... So did, no flight or fight response. Right. Uh, in this study, anyway. Yeah. And no hippocampus, which is also an emotional uh, memory, but, autonomic uh, nervous system center. But that might be okay. I mean, of course it's okay. But what I mean is that uh, I could imagine that in cases where uh, a person starts developing hyperjealousy and then that leads to violence and things like that, there, there could be this kind of chain reaction where the initial jealousy gives way to some some triggers that actually then get interpreted as a threat to the self and then the, the amygdala gets triggered um, as opposed to like kind of your run of the mill. I'm looking at an image. How do yeah. I get triggered? Cause there is a big difference between I'm looking at an image and an fMRI totally. study to yeah. like, I just caught yeah. my actual, you know, totally. I mean, the whole thing about fMRI studies is there's a chance given new research that's been coming out that, half to 99% of past fMRI studies are completely invalidated <laughs> by uh, they I, I won't go into the details but uh, and and people who have listened to this podcast know that I'm highly skeptical of fMRI studies anyway because it's the the resolution at which we're looking at the brain is is really crude compared to what we'll be able to look at in the future and two we're we're just looking at uh quote unquote activation but things can be happening throughout the brain that we're not able to measure. And we don't even know what's happening in the brain. We're just look, it's just looking at a particular marker that's changing in, in contrast over time. And that's, 
you know, in 50 years, 100 years, they're going to look back and go like, yeah, back in 2017, they looked at fMRI studies, which is just ridiculous that, you know, there's no way to find out anything about the brain with that. And so... And we'll be jealous of how how good they are at it. Yeah. (laughs) And the studies often have ends of like 10. And, And when they report on their findings, it might mean that just like two people coincided on their images and the rest of the the, the eight other subjects didn't exhibit it. And that's enough of a signal to say that I see. this is what happens to humans when this happens, when it only happened to two out of the 10. Right. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think you get the picture. Yeah, yeah. Having said that, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at it. All right, let's take a break. And when we get back, let's get to answering the patrons questions specifically. What do you say, Berto? Break out. Okay, we're back. So let's get to your questions, patron. Why does it happen? Well, as I was saying before, we likely evolved to crave relationship security. We probably have a an attachment drive. Berto, you want to say something? Weren't we going to raffle? Uh... Oh, yeah. Let's raffle. Otherwise, people are going to get envious. Okay. So pick a letter between A and Z, Berto. Uh, T. Pick a number. Seven. Tim. Timmy. Tim. Tim, you're going to... You joined in April... We have, we have a number of Tims, so it's the Tim that joined in April. <laughs> uh, you are going to get, now pick another letter. You're going to get swag in the mail. We're going to send you some stickers. Swag. Uh, okay. um, all right, another letter. Uh, Q, is there a Q in the house? Quinn is going, there's only one Q, and Quinn is going to get. Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? Quinn just joined wow. like a few weeks ago, so he is going oh, to okay. get uh Get some. I shouldn't assume gender. Quinn. We'll just say Quinn is going to get some swag in the mail. Okay. Berto, what's another letter? E. Twenty-two. Ethan. Ethan Allen. Yay. Uh, we have a number of Ethans. You are the Ethan that joined way back in 2015. Uh, actually, both Ethans joined in 2015. You're the first Ethan. The you, first Ethan. You joined in in September. The other Ethan joined in October. So you all three are going to get some. Patron uh, swag. Okay. So your question, patron, why does it happen? Why does jealousy happen? Well, like I said, we likely evolved a drive for relationship security. And so it, it, combining that with culture and your interpretation of the events that are happening before you, that engages that system to, uh, like that one author said, it's a drive to retain the security that you have in your relationships. One thing that's not specified in the, in the email um, is that I'd be curious about is uh, what were times during this this patron's life that um, she actually had a trust or a relationship and it was betrayed? Yeah, right. And, and I'd be curious about that. Right. I, I I would assume that given her response to triggers, that throughout her life she's been rejected, made to feel not good enough. Uh, and, and been traumatized in that way. So. And I wonder if it now becomes sort of um, self-fulfilling in a way because I know that for me, at the time, I had I had started down a, a dark road of basically pushing the person away that would have, it would have ended up not well for me. It, it could have very well ended up with, oh, wait, she did cheat on me, but it's like because you made her, you know. Right. Yeah, that's one of the tragedies of being traumatized and mistreated as children is that it creates psychic 
realities and tendencies that tend to create relational realities that repeat the original problem, which is, you know, it's like when you're sexually abused as a child over a number of years, the chance that you will grow up and be abused again is much higher, Mm -hmm. which is just this double tragedy. Okay. Also, you know, patron, no one likes to be deceived. So... Why do people get jealous? Well, because no one likes to be tricked, uh, particularly by our loved ones. And we all need love and trust and security. So it's, just, it's normal to get upset when someone hurts you in that way. Now, why is it worse in some people? Like I said, attachment injuries, being neglected, abused, mistreated, traumatized as children or as adults. You, I've been mainly focusing on childhood trauma, but you can be like what Berto was saying, he had just recently been in a difficult breakup. And so on the tails of that, your jealousy mechanism might be easily, more easily triggered during that time. Yeah. You also asked, patron, is it hereditary? Can, can jealousy be hereditary? Well, what I'll say is, is that there's, there's no research that I could find even asking that question. It's an extremely difficult question to even research Whenever you talk about personality traits and hereditary and, and heredity, it's it's really hard to nail that down because it's hard to know if it's learned. You know, you you start looking at twins and this kind of stuff. But anyway, can't you sequester away five thousand families for fifty years? That's something? the way you to do it. So now, what I'll say it's it's likely that some personality traits are quote unquote hereditary, meaning that you're all of us are probably born with certain tendencies regarding personality and then combine that with experience and that creates who we are. But I would say that when it comes to jealousy and your your trigger, you know, for you in particular, patron, my guess is you weren't born this way. <laughs> my guess is, and you didn't talk about this in much detail, I mean, you said that your dad got jealous a lot and that's why your parents split up. But that alone, just your parents splitting up is an attachment uh, injury of sorts uh, for some people. And uh, my guess is you had other sorts of attachment injuries as well. And so if someone came to me and they talked about having extreme jealousy problems, I would assume that they've had bad experiences in their life. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, in my mind, I wouldn't be like, oh, they were probably born this way. <laughs> um, okay. So, and more specifically to your experience, can a jealous parent produce a jealous child? Yes. Jealousy implies attachment insecurity in your dad, which leads him to be a bad parent, which leads to child attachment insecurity for you, patron, which leads you to be jealous uh, later on. So it might appear hereditary, but not necessarily genetically. Right. It's the same with borderline. (laughs) It's hard to know whether or not that is hereditary or not. There does seem to be some link, but, but jealousy, I couldn't find any research on it. Maybe there is, but anyway. So how do I treat jealousy? Well, the first thing I do is I normalize it, try to reduce the shame. That's the first thing I do with a lot of things. Until people can release themselves from the shame, it's hard to address it. So I'll spend a lot of time really genuinely trying to get them to stop shaming themselves and to normalize it, as I think we did on this podcast. You don't do the Ruprecht method, or not the Ruprecht method, the, uh, the in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels where he's like, Dancing with with the gal while um, while uh, he's in the wheelchair, just to see, get him excited about regaining his, his yeah. 
It wasn't Ruprecht. That was a different character. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember that it was, it was, uh, what was his character's name? Colonel something? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, um, how, how do I treat jealousy? I also, uh, as, as, as Berto did with his therapist, try to increase awareness. Awareness can do a lot. Knowing your triggers, knowing what jealousy is, being able to sort of categorize it. As you're experiencing jealousy, if you're completely lost in the jealousy, it's hard to exhibit any control. But if in the midst of jealousy, at least part of your consciousness can say, oh, I'm jealous right now, that can go a long way. Um, in terms of uh, not only just helping in that moment, but triggering uh, coping skills to be able to uh, mitig- mitigate the, the problems. But the main thing that I do for people who have your form of jealousy, patron, is attachment-oriented therapy, relational-oriented therapy, corrective emotional experiences. If we can engineer, as Berto did with his mom and with other important figures in his 20s, if we can engineer you, patron, to have relationships with people that are stable over time that are proven to you with actual behavior and time that you are a lovable person, that you can trust other people, that they won't just walk away from you or cheat on you, that they're stable people who have a caring for you that's independent from you. And that, that's a thing that's important. That's, and not everyone believes that, you know? But, and that's kind of the crux of jealousy is mm. I don't trust that within that other person is a independent from me, a a energy that that wants to preserve this relationship. I, I don't think I'm wording this right. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I do know what you're saying. That is that feeling of of like left to the other person's devices, this is over. So right. I, it's all up to me. Like yeah. if I don't somehow make a case for this relationship, or if I don't somehow prevent this person from having contact with other people, this relationship is over. You know, it's sort of like the analogy I always think of is the first time I got on a horse, I was like 12 years old. It was in the Montana on this thousand acres and there was no oversight. It was just like, okay, let's all get on horses. And I, so I got on this horse and it was the most lively horse of the bunch and it just took off running. And we're in the wilderness, you know, there's no fences. We're just like, I'm just running through this meadow, you know, and there's trees and bushes and stuff. And I see this tree stump like right in front of us. And I'm like, uh, and I'm giddy at first. I'm laughing. I'm like, oh my God, I'm on a horse. This is, this is amazing. This is amazing. Oh my God, there's a tree stump like a head. We're heading right toward it. <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm dead. Like, I, I don't know how to, no one told me how to turn this thing or get it to stop. And the, and the horse, we're getting closer and closer. And then the horse just runs around oh. the stump. <laughs> you had no faith. That if it weren't, if you didn't take some action, right. the horse on its own would do something right. to preserve you, both of you. I didn't realize that the horse was an independent uh, being that likes to be alive and doesn't <laughs> want to run into things. And similar, when you go through enough experiences that teach you this, you will look at your partner and see someone who independently is desperate to hold on to you and will, because really anyone can cheat on anyone pretty easily. I mean, if you wanted to, you can, even people who are highly controlled or have very busy lives, if you wanted to, you could cheat on someone pretty easily. And the fact is, is that 
most people at any given time are not cheating on. And the reason why is because they love their partner and they don't want to hurt that person and they don't want to hurt themselves and they don't want to degrade their relationship. And, you know, they have all the same desires that you do. Right. And so as you have secure relationships, you begin to trust that the, that other person has that. Yeah. And hopefully that other person has that. Here's <laughs> the thing. Okay. Your last question. How can people manage their jealousy? Well, the first thing is healing from your wounds, which can take years, but, you know, that's a big thing. Also, the main thing is, in, in, you know, in the meantime, get your partner to help you. This is, I talk with people about this all the time. What people often do with jealousy is they, they ask me, how can I control it? How can I stop being jealous? And what I say is, it's impossible. You're asking the wrong question. It's like saying, how can I stop being thirsty? <laughs> you know, until you heal from your relational wounds or until you have a secure relationship for a long enough time, you're just going to get jealous. That's just how it is. Uh-huh. And so the question is not how can I stop being jealous, but the question is what do I do when I feel jealous? We tend to have very limited options available to us in this culture. You know, what are the what are the typical prescribed cultural you know, behaviors when a man gets jealous or a woman gets jealous. Culturally, okay. Um, confront the other person, I guess. Yeah. Where were you? Where were you? Yeah. Were you with this guy? Did you have sex with him? Yeah. Did you Did you pull the flap? Did you open? <laughs> Did you lift the flap? Right. So um, now that's just one of thousands of behaviors that would make sense given what uh-huh. is happening. For instance, and and. These are my words, but put it into your own words, patron. You would say to your partner, and this is prior to feeling jealous. This is like in the middle of nowhere. You say, I am so sorry, partner of mine, that you have to deal with my problem with jealousy. I'm so sorry. But it's largely out of my control. And until I heal from the shit I went through as a kid, I'm likely to get triggered now and then as I have in the past. And you could really, really, really help me by reducing the likelihood of me being triggered and by helping me cope when I do get triggered because I will get triggered at some point. And it's not your fault is the point. When I get triggered, my jealousy, when it gets triggered, it is not your fault. When you got a ride with those three guys that triggered my jealousy, that is not your fault. You were not responsible for that. That's completely on me. It's all my fault that I got jealous. It is not your fault. And if you love me, you will please help me with this. Well, she could have taken an Uber. <laughs> yeah, not back then. <laughs> not back then. <laughs> uh, maybe we could talk about it now and then. This doesn't mean that you can't have friends. It, it just means I, I might need some extra reassurance uh, or I might need some extra help around this. For instance, mm-hmm. you know, in your situation, Berto. It would have been like, so if you have a choice between getting a ride with females or males, <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's going to trigger me if you ride with males. <laughs> now, you are, uh, you are free to ride with, with males. This is, this is my problem, I understand. Yes. So you getting a ride with men is totally fine. Because you're, what are you going to do? Have sex? That's ridiculous. If if you were that close to having sex with three random guys, <laughs> I don't want to be with you anyway. And and I know you. You're not like that. But I, I get triggered and become delusional. And you see how crazy I get. And this is just temporary for now. Eventually, I'm working hard in therapy. And once I get healed 
from my relational wounds. And once you and I have enough time under our belts where I can really feel like I can trust things, then I'm guessing I'm not going to get as jealous in the future. But for now, if I'm just, I'm begging you (laughs) to try not to trigger me. Um, The other thing is, is that I'm going to need a lot of reassurance, a lot of overt reassurance. And I might ask you things. So for instance, you, you know, arrive at the play and you say, I got a ride with three guys. I'm going to go through a mental circus in my head in that moment. And what, if I'm following my functional behavior, what I'll do is I'll turn to you and I'll say, so it's not your fault, but I'm, I'm getting triggered right now by that. Mm -hmm. It's not your fault. This is my problem. You know, fuck my parents for, for putting me through all that shit when I was a kid. Not your fault but I'm fucking losing it right now. <laughs> yeah. Not your fault. If you could reassure me that you love me, that you're not leaving right. me, that you didn't do anything with them, that you're not attracted to them. If you could really just pour it on thick right now for about 30 seconds, I, I'm hoping, I'm guessing that will help. And then because you've been through this and, sh- and she's cool, then she goes, Oh yeah, I love you. I would never leave you those three guys, they're just friends. And even right. if they were attractive, I, I don't, I'm not looking at other men, I, right. you know, and you know, she might hug you or kiss you and say, you're the only one I've never cheated on you. I never will cheat on you. So what she shouldn't say is those three. Oh, they were pouring it on thick. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Well, that does it for that episode of psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.